How's everybody? Hope my voice lasts. I've just been coaching a doubleheader of second graders and uh, very fitting for our series of Overcome because when you, when you coach second graders, you have to overcome a lot of things. So um, I'm hoping my voice will hold out. Uh, but I'm excited because I believe God has put this series on my heart uh, because I think so many times we get bogged down with what we can see. And, and God is wanting to say, you have overcome because I have overcome this world. And when we hear that many times, I think we feel like, oh, good. Whew, life is going to go smooth now. Or Okay, maybe I'll start getting the breaks or the ball is going to start bouncing my way. In fact, that's such a sports metaphor in football or baseball when you think, oh, if the ball had just bounced our way or man, the ball was really bouncing our way. And I think sometimes in life when we hear you've overcome or, or you're going to overcome, we think, oh, good, things are going to start going my way. But really, it's not about us having a comfortable life. It's about us being persistent and having peace in the world, knowing that he has overcome. And so when I, when I was thinking through what passage is this key passage, I, was, I found John 16, 33, and this, this verse has just been on my heart for a while. So I want to read through four different versions because each one, I think, speaks um, just a little differently into the truth of what God is saying here. And so first, in the New Living Translation, you can follow along. It says, I have uh, told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And then in the New King James, Jesus tells his disciples, says, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I thought that was good. I have overcome the world. In the New American Standard, it says it this way, these things I've spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Finally, in the message, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I've told you all this, so that trusting me you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I've conquered the world. And I love those. Each one sharing just a little more of that translation of what Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples. In fact, if we look at the background at this passage, what's going on here? You know, in John 16, we see Jesus knows the end is near. He knows where he's headed. He knows my time on earth, it's almost over. He sees the cross coming. He knows it's a matter of weeks. And he knows also that his disciples still don't get it. Still don't understand what's coming and why it has to happen. They don't understand, so he's trying to give them a preview. And then he's trying to give them reassurance of what is to come. He says, guys... I'm going to go. But when I go, one will come that will live in you. You won't be alone. He's saying the Holy Spirit is going to come and dwell in you. In fact, that is our hope and promise today, right? 
We become the temple, the holiness of God. Jesus is going to be killed, and that's part of God's plan. It may appear, he says, that evil is winning, but he's saying, take courage or take heart or find joy or be confident. Don't be afraid because I have overcome or I have conquered this world. He's saying, guys, our team's already won. Jesus knows the end. It's hard for his disciples to see that. And I think many times today it's hard for us to see and trust that that is truth. To be confident that there is victory in the death and resurrection. That the tomb is empty. He's saying, guys, you're going to see. And then you're going to know. Then you're going to understand. And then you're going to be filled with power and strength. I think we need to be reminded of this as we live in the world today, that the tomb is empty. So often, yes, the cross won, right? The cross bore our sins where we found forgiveness. And that tomb, when it rolled back and was empty, reassured that death and sin have no hold on our lives, that that's not the final word, that we are victorious. We have overcome. So why does it not feel that way sometimes? Why do I feel like at times that this world is winning? Can God really save us? What does it mean that we win? In fact, many times it looks like on earth that we are being defeated or that it may end in defeat. But during our our series on overcome, we're going to talk about how we are victorious, how, how in Jesus we have overcome our fears and our doubts. We've overcome stress, worry, and anxiety. We've overcome trouble and hardships, prejudices and discord. We've even overcome sin and death itself. Fears are so real, right? I mean, they get into our minds and they take over. In fact, sometimes as a parent, You can play that what-if game. I played it as a kid, but you can play it as a parent so much. What if? What if I let my kid ride down the street and they get run over? What if I let my kid walk down and someone kidnaps them? What if? And we start going down that road. It's just like the Minions. I got a picture here of the Minions, and it says, running really fast through a dark room so nothing will kill you. Have you ever been there in life where you just feel like, I'm running so fast because you're scared that if you stop, something might happen instead of stopping and being still knowing that God is God. I also found this next quote from an unknown source and you'll, this will make more sense as we get into this series uh, with, with, with our study today in Moses, but he says, never be afraid to try something new. Remember, amateurs built the ark and professionals built the Titanic. And then finally, I found this fear is false evidence appearing real. I thought that was good. False evidence appearing real. In our minds, sometimes we see, oh no, is that truth? And we start getting scared. And God is saying, no, I am truth. (laughs) So I'm scared of heights. But as a child, I was very adventurous. Still am sometimes today. But as a child, I, I used to love climbing trees. And I remember one time we had a tree and I was like, I just want to climb it. And so I started climbing up this tree 
and I get higher and higher and higher. And I, you know, as a kid, you don't think, oh, what you're scared of, right? You're just seeing uh, there's a tree. It needs to be climbed. And so I'm climbing up this tree and I'm thinking, okay, I can get to this limb, then I can get to this limb. Will that one hold me? Probably not. Let me go to this one and this one. And I'm climbing up and down this tree. Well, not down. I'm climbing up this tree. And I'm getting higher and higher. And finally, I get tired and I stop and I sit on a branch. And I'm holding on. And I look down. And I'm like, wait, I'm really high up. And I'm scared of heights. And I don't know how to get down. So I start panicking. And I started thinking, what am I going to do? So I did the only thing I know to do as a kid. I started yelling, Dad! Dad! Save me! Help! So my dad comes running out, and he's thinking, oh, no. Did he fall? What happened? He looks, and I'm yelling. He looks up, and he's like, he kind of laughs. <laughs> and I was like, I'm scared. You need to go get a ladder or climb up this tree and come save me. And he's going, No. And I'm like, okay, well, if you're not going to do that, we'll just send up some wood, some nails, and a hammer, and I'll make a fort up here. This is where I'll sleep because I'm not coming down by myself. It's not happening. There's no way. So he laughs, and he starts saying, okay. He finally gets me to calm down. He says, here's what you're going to do. Just turn around. Hold on. I'm going to walk you through how to get down. And I'd like to tell you, that as I started making my way down, I started gaining confidence and thought, okay, whew, this is easier than I thought. And I made it all the way down. I got about halfway down. I did the same thing all over again. I'm holding onto this tree going, okay, now come get me. I've gone far enough. He said, no, no. Gets me to calm down. I get down. And after I get down, there's this sense of, man, I overcame a fear. And my dad helped me, and he never left me, and he was there. He didn't do it for me, but he walked me through. And I think God does that so many times. Have you ever been there in life? Maybe not climbing a tree, right, physically, but have you ever faced a fear or been in a season of doubt, and you're just screaming out to God? I think fear and doubt many times... I think they go together. <laughs> In fact, I wonder if it's a chicken or egg kind of a thing. Does doubt breed into our fears or does fear give way to our doubt? Does it breed life into our doubts? Do we fear God more than we fear anything else? In fact, in Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, you know, don't be afraid of those who want to kill only your body and can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy what? Both soul and body in hell. When I think of, when I think of fear and doubt, I, I always think of the Exodus chapters 3 and 4 story of Moses when God is calling him to free his people. And I love it because I, I can picture myself, you know, as Moses is going and, and tending sheep for the last 40 years and, and he sees this burning bush and God calls him. And, and when God starts telling him the plan he has for him, can you imagine Moses is probably sitting there going, okay, God, where were you 40 years ago when I tried to rally the troops? Where were you when I tried to start a rebellion? But God is going to make it very clear to Moses. And I think he's going to make it very clear to us through this story who gets the glory? Who is the real hero in this story? Moses, you had a way, but it wasn't God's way. 
God has a way to free his people. Just like our lives are to bring a spotlight to Jesus and what he's done in our life, Moses' story will do the same through the Exodus. It will bring a spotlight to who God is and that he is all-powerful, that God is the one true God. So if a life in God overcomes our fears, it's important to understand a little more in depth of who he is by his very nature. In this passage, we see God referred to as Elohim or translated God. And then when Moses asked him later, what should I tell the Israelites, right? Okay, they're going to ask, what's your name? Who sent you um, or who sent me? And he says, you tell them Yahweh, the Lord. I am that I am sent you. So what is in a name? Why is it so powerful? Why is it such a big deal in this story to know the name of God? Why is it so important in our story, right? In our salvation story to know the name of the Lord, to know God. You know, when I was in the tree and I was yelling for my dad, I yelled dad because I knew in that name there was hope. In, there, in that name was rescue, right? There was salvation in that name that day to get me out of the tree. I knew there was hope. And I think the same thing God is telling Moses. He's saying, I am. I am greater than your fears. I am greater than your doubt. I am the Lord, right? Imagine if you didn't have a name or maybe no one knew your name. In fact, when we walk up and we meet someone new for the first time, we always ask them, what's your name? And I think we want to know people. We want to be known. We want to know, what do I call you? Right? And I think the same is true. God gives his people his name so that they can have a personal relationship. They can call on the name of the Lord when they are crying out. It gives them hope. They want, he wants them to know him. <laughs> um, there is power in the name of God. If we're going to overcome our fears, we must call on him by name. And we must also know him. It's one thing to call on him. It's another thing to know him. In fact, what is in the name Yahweh? When he tells, when he tells Moses, you, you tell them Yahweh sent me. You know, it is translated, like I said, I am who I am or I am, which is derived from the, the, the verb to be. God is. Just think about that. God is. And without him, there is nothing. God is a being. He is reality. He is all-powerful. He is relational. He is a being with identity that is identified with a people. God is saying, I am. I am with you in your midst. I am the one and only true God. As we walk through the story of Moses and his fears and we see his doubts, we will watch God answer each fear and doubt with who he is. By God's very nature, he will say, Moses, you can not because of you, but because I am. I will be with you. I will be your mouth. I will be your God. Like Moses, we see our fears and we have our doubts. And God is saying through the story of Moses, it's not about you. <laughs> it's about the very nature of who I am as God. Wow, I need to hear that. I need to hear more often. I need to be thinking about who God is. When those fears and those doubts start creeping in, I need to be able to be refreshed in knowing 
Yahweh, I am, that God is, that God is all-powerful, that God is near, that he is life, that he's bigger than my fears and doubts, that in him I have overcome because of the power of Jesus and through the gift of the Holy Spirit and that God is writing a story of salvation in my life and in your life where we ultimately win. So the first fear and doubt that Moses had to overcome was, who are you, God? How did God answer him? Like we talked about, he said, I am Elohim. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's saying, I'm the one true God. I'm, I'm the God from, from the beginning. I am unending and I am unchanging. From beginning to end, I am God. And Moses' response, I love his response, is to hide his face because he is face to face with true holiness. He then proceeds to tell him more about himself later, but God is a God that is revealing. He wants us to know him. You know, many times, he could be like some of us parents at times, right? Why do I have to do that? Because I said so, right? Just go do it. I told you to do it. Go do it. Why? Just do it. And God could have done that with Moses, right? You go do it. But he starts revealing his very nature to Moses. And he's patient with Moses, right? Because I love, the, I love chapters 3 and 4 in Exodus because we see this conversation. And we see how much patience God has and how he listens. And he wants us not to just know that, okay, God's powerful, he can do it. But he wants us to know how. He wants us to know him so that we will know how to walk through these trials and these tribulations. He is loving. God is so unchanging and unending and cares for us just as much now as he did for his slaves thousands of years ago when they were crying out. God loves us that much now. When we know or when we believe this, I think the less we will fear what are obstacles that stand in front of us and the less we will doubt that we have a God that is bigger than our problems and that he loves us. And he wants ultimately for us to be free, just like he wanted for his people to be free. He wants us to be free from our sin and our doubt and our fear and the obstacles that keep us from knowing him. Another one of Moses' doubts is, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to what I say? So it's a fear of others. I think here is, in each of us, there is a fear of others. It could be big, it could be small, but in each of us, I think there's a little bit of, ooh, what if they don't like me? What if they think ill of me? What if they want to hurt me? In fact, I remember when I was in middle school, I love our middle school students. Uh, I would never trade places with them, especially in the world today uh, that they're growing up in. But when I was in middle school, I just remember, oh, I don't want to stand out, and I don't want to stand alone. And the sad thing with that is, as a disciple of Jesus, because at that time I had said yes to Jesus, I had put him on in baptism, I had the Holy Spirit living in me, but I let fear take hold, and instead of standing for truth, I took part of inappropriate jokes. I stood there and watched. Instead of standing up for those who couldn't stand up for themselves, I just let it happen thinking, I'm so glad it's not me. When I got in high school, I remember a buddy, and he was just like, 
man, you're a Christian, right? I said, yeah. He goes, let's do a prayer time before our games. I said, yeah. And I remember going, okay, that's going to make me different. That's going to make me stand out. Am I okay with that? And there's a little bit of fear, but I went, you know what? People need to know that God is my God. And God gave me the faith and the courage to step out. And it was a great thing to pray before our games. But there is that fear. You know, Moses is scared of the people here. <laughs> they may not believe me or listen, right? In fact, he said, you know, 40 years ago, God, it didn't go so well with the people. And now you want me to go back to these people and tell them you sent me. I don't know if you've ever been there before. Maybe you have. Or maybe you're in a situation now where God is calling you to stand out. We're calling you to be a light in this world, but maybe fear and doubt are kind of gripping you. They've got a hold of you, and, and you're kind of saying, God, I know I should be different in my workplace. I know I should be different in my schools. I know I should be different in my neighborhood, but God, if I am, you know, they're not going to listen anyways. Or they may run the other direction. God, they're, they're just not ready. And God's answer to Moses is much like his answer to us. He is saying, you can do this, not by your power, not by your words, but by my power. In fact, in Exodus 4, 1 through 9, let's read along. It says, Moses objected, they won't trust me. They won't listen to a word I say. They're going to say, God, appear to him? Hardly. So God said, what's that in your hand? He said, a staff. We'll throw it on the ground. So he threw it and became a snake. And Moses jumped back fast. God said, reach out and grab it by the tail. And he reached out and he grabbed it and it was holding a staff again. That's so they will trust that God appeared to you, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. God said, put your hand inside your shirt. And so he slipped his hand under his shirt and he said, take it out. And his hand was as leprous like snow. He said, put your hand back under your shirt. And he did. Then he took it back out and it was healthy as before. So if they don't trust you and aren't convinced by the first sign, the second sign should do it. But if it doesn't, even after these two signs, they don't trust you or listen to your message. Take some water out of the Nile and pour on dry land and the Nile from the water that you pour out will turn to blood when it hits the ground. <laughs> you see, God is saying, by my power, let me give you proof to show you that I am God. And I think if we stop and we look how God has worked in our life, we'll start going, okay, there is miraculous signs in my life where I know, but by God. This could have ended really bad, but by the grace of God. I could have really been hurt here, but by God. My marriage could have ended, but by God. There are miraculous signs in our life. We have to be in tune to them. Just like Moses needed those proofs, we have proofs in our life. And we have to stand up and take hold of those so that when people are like, wait, God sent you? We can say, yeah, let me share what he's done in my life. Let me tell you about the miracles he's done. And we've got to give God the credit. We've got to give him the glory. Yeah, that may have been a great counselor you went to when your marriage was not doing so well. But by the grace of God, but by God, your marriage was restored, saved. So do we fear God more than we fear people? Can he help you overcome this fear? He showed Moses that 
He has authority over all things in this world. We, like Moses, are called to go and let God work through us. It's not for us to make others believe. We're called to faithfully go and do the mission that he is calling us to. I think the next fear uh, that, 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 that I want to talk about is, it's kind of bookends, it's before and after the fear of others, and it's that Moses doubted himself. He first asked God, well, who am I to lead these people? And I think he's going back and saying, God, you know, this, this didn't work when I tried to do it. He may also have a little lesser view of himself now. You know, going from prince of Egypt to a shepherd. But God tells him, I am going to be with you. Imagine if we woke up each day being in tune, in tune with the presence of God in our lives. That we are in step with the Spirit of God. And that He's going to use that Spirit pouring through us to bless others, which in turn will bless us as believers in Jesus Christ. When we give our lives to Him and are baptized, we are promised this gift of the Holy Spirit. So guys, we have this burning bush raging, this fire raging inside of each of us. But the question then becomes, are our fears and doubts quenching the fire? Or are they blinding us from seeing his work in our lives or hearing his voice? So if we pull back the curtain, I think sometimes in life, you can just pull back the curtain from reality. I think what we would see is a mighty spiritual battle taking place, a battle between angels and demons warring for our very souls, warring for our very lives. And I think as we read through these chapters in three and four, you see that in the story of Moses, there is a battle going on. There is a fight the Lord answers, and Satan, you know, it's like the Lord answers Moses' doubts and fears, and then, and then Satan places another fear. And then God answers that, and Satan puts in some doubt, and God continues to answer. So after God tells him that he can do it because God is with him, Satan puts it in Moses, and he fires back, well, God, but the people. And then God answers that with miraculous signs, and he says, uh, but, but God, and this is what I think he says for last, I can't speak well. You're asking me to do a task that you didn't really create me to be ready for. Are you sure you're sending the right person? In fact, the number one fear still is public speaking, which means that at a funeral, most people would rather be the one spoken about than the one doing the speaking. Which is kind of crazy to think about, but Moses can only see his weaknesses. He's like, God, I, I can't speak. You made me with a flaw, and you're wanting me to go and use this. I can't. I'm too weak. And maybe you've been there. You can only, you, you can only see your weaknesses with this huge task or this huge obstacle lying ahead of you, but you can only see what Satan is telling you. In fact, one of, great, one of Satan's greatest moves is deception. He's known as the father of lies. So what does he do when God is calling us to do something great in his name? <laughs> he blinds us to our strengths. He shows us how big our weaknesses are, how big our failures are. It's like a highlight reel of our failures just going on, being replayed. And then we're able to shrink back and say, okay, God, yeah, you called the wrong person. And that's what kind of Moses is saying. He's like, God, 
I don't have this. But I love God's response here in Exodus 4.11. He says, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what you say. And that's powerful. God is saying, Moses, you may see that as a weakness, but I'm going to use it to glorify my name because you don't see yourself strong there, and I'm going to make you strong. And I also like how it's like God's just ready for this next, the next thing. He's like, in fact, I'm going to send Aaron with you too. In fact, he's on his way. And we're going to read that here in just a minute. But remember, as we read this next passage, remember in life, we're not called to go alone at it either. We have each other. We've got our brothers and our sisters in Exodus 4, 14 through 17. It says, then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you now. Man, isn't that great? It's like God is just, man, he's so good. It says, he will be delighted to see you. Talk to him. Put the words in his mouth, and I will be with both of you as you speak. And I will instruct both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokes, spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece. And you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it perform the miraculous signs I have shown you and he's saying look Moses go you don't have to go alone I'm going to equip you for everything you need tonight you may need to hear that message I know I do to stop seeing our weaknesses to stop seeing our failures and see the Lord man don't you think if God created this world and is in control of everything in this world that he can fully equip you and me for the task that he has for us to walk through. As a parent, there's nothing more hurting, nothing maybe more frustrating than when a child does not see their talents or their gifts, when they don't see how loved and valued they are. Our oldest, (laughs) Bryce, He's always a little more nervous jumping into something new. Now, once he gets in there, he's all in and he's living out loud. But sometimes to get in there, it just takes a little extra nudge. And so when he was four years old, I remember we were playing soccer. It was co-ed soccer and he had, he had a little friend on the team and I said, yeah, let's go play. And so we're coaching him and practice. He's loving it, having a great time comes to the game, warm-ups go great, we, we get our starting lineup ready, the referee puts the ball down, is about to blow the whistle, and all of a sudden Bryce just takes off, crying, running for the sideline, I don't want to play, I don't want to play, and I'm sitting there, you know, as the coach, I'm going, what in the world, get out here, and, and he's going, no, I can't, I can't do it. so we get another kid out there, and I'm just sitting there, running. and people are trying to convince him, you're going to be fine, get out there, go play. And so finally, second half, they go, okay, call him back in. He's ready. So I call him back in. It's kind of the same thing. He's not really ready. But I grab his hand and I said, we can do this. And he goes, he's thinking, well, yeah, you're a lot bigger. We can do this. And so we start running up and down the field together. And I tell you, I was so proud when he scored that first goal. In fact, I kind of take credit for it. I kind of helped give it a little nudge. But he stole the ball, and he went. He and I dominated those four-year-olds that day. I'm telling you, with 
his dad holding his hand, he had the confidence knowing he wasn't alone, that he was able to do the, the task ahead. He was up to the challenge when he knew, okay, I'm not by myself. I'm going to be okay. In many, and I think in many aspects, God is telling Moses, just go. I'm going to hold you through this. Tonight, whatever you're facing, God is telling you, I'm right here. I made you. I made you the way I wanted you so that your life brings me glory. Hmm. So it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God working through us. See, we must see a God that is greater, greater than our weaknesses and greater than our failures. So now Moses must be feeling good now, right? I mean, he must be like, okay, whoo. Okay, I, I can't speak, but God, God sent Aaron, and I'm going to be able to speak. I've got all these miraculous signs I can do now. I know his name. Okay, I think we're good to go. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with parents over my years of youth ministry about their children just not wanting to participate or to go on a, a specific trip. And my statement to them is always just get them on the bus. Get them on the bus. God will work. God will show up. He will do something great. They're going to have a great time. And if not, at least seeds of faith are planted and good things will happen. And so you're thinking, okay, Moses is ready. But in Exodus 4.13, we read, Moses tells God, Lord, please send anyone else. I don't know if you've ever been there, but there are times in my life I have been there. God is calling you to a task or me to a task and you wrestle over this task and you start wrestling with your weaknesses. You start wrestling with your fears and your doubts and you're pleading your case to God and he's saying, no, I chose you. Maybe it's meeting a new neighbor or helping a neighbor. Maybe it's starting a new job or moving to a new city. Maybe it's supporting a ministry or volunteering for a ministry or going on a mission trip. There are so many different tasks God is calling each of us to do. Maybe it's listening and helping someone's marriage or listening and helping someone find faith. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to overcome that fear? Now that I've been walking with the Lord for over 40 years, you'd think, or at least I would think, that I've overcome those fears and those doubts and I'm ready for whatever God calls me to. <laughs> but Alexander and I signed up for this teen life where we go in and we mentor students in schools and we don't know these students and they put these groups together and we go in and we talk to them and we mentor them and try to help them think through the resources that they have at their disposal to, to conquer failures and, and things in life. And I remember as I pull up to the, the Hebron Freshman Center and I, I turn my car off and I say a prayer and I'm thinking, Lord, is this a mistake? Are they really going to care what I have to say? Am I really supposed to go in there and do this? Am I going to make a difference in these kids' lives? I mean, God, these are freshmen and I'm old. In fact, my mom keeps telling me every time I see her, ooh, a little more gray in that beard, a little more gray in that hair. 
And then he keeps dropping hints about me going and buying a box of, of the hair coloring, which I keep telling her, look, I'm just glad I have hair and I'm too cheap to buy the box. But I'm telling you, I still tell God no at times. And I still struggle with fears and doubts. And I've been in ministry for over 16 years. There are fears and there are doubts and Satan is attacking all the time. See, I think there are times in my life that I fear what people think. I doubt at times in my life that God can use me, that my weaknesses are too great. But just like in my story and in your story and in the story of Moses, when we go anyway, when we're faithful to what he's calling us to do, then we see a God that is at work and we see a God that is powerful and can still use even me. <laughs> so how do we overcome fears and doubts? How do we take that next step? It's called taking that imaginative leap when fear surrounds us and doubts are creeping in to the reality of who God is and that he owns this place and that ultimately he is in control, that he has the final word, that he has the victory. And we are called to fear God more than anything else in this world. And when those fears and doubts start creeping in, we have to remind ourselves, God is God. That without him, there is nothing. And that same God that created this world lives in me. Hmm. We're not called to make the task that we're given as success. We're not called to make people say yes or to understand the outcome or the path that we're on. We're just called to take the next step. <laughs> In fact, at First Colony, Ronnie Norman, the preacher there, would always say, take your next step. What does, that ne what does that change look like? He said, you know, so often we want to see that 180 degree change and we think that's real change, but sometimes it's that 1%, that 3%, that 10% change, that little degree of change. You're moving in the right direction and you're moving to where God wants you to be. And that's a success. Tonight, you don't have to have it all figured out. But know, church, that we have overcome. You don't have to let fear win. Doubt has no victory in this room. Our God is a mighty warrior who fights battles with us and for us. And ultimately, we have overcome. Choose not to live in the lies of Satan. Live in freedom. Live in a life that has overcome fear and doubt. Tonight, freedom has been won. And if you want to claim that in your life and you want to say yes to Jesus as Lord and put him on in baptism, come forward. We're ready to receive you as you say yes to Jesus as Lord and overcome death, overcome sin, overcome those fears in your life by saying yes to him as Lord. Maybe for you, you just need to take that next step, that next 2% or three degree change and you want to start claiming or reclaiming Jesus as Lord in your life so that those fears and those doubts start ceasing. Then come forward or find someone right around you and pray together. Fears are not going away. 
on their own. Only in the name of Jesus and with others around will they start to cease. So let God overcome your fears and your doubts. So however you need to respond tonight, respond now as we stand and sing.